Welcome to Infinite Fellowship Ministries where we train believers to know and to pursue God's perfect will so as to yield fruit for His kingdom. Here is a devotion by Deacon Samuel Washira. And these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests and the prophets and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the Queen Mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. This letter was sent by the hand of Elasa, the son of Shaphan and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah from Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. And it said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to them and the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. Praise the name of the Lord. You may have your seats. Thank you. Worship team. Jeremiah 29 is a, an amazing chapter because it, it captures or rather it contains one of the hallmark verses for every Christian. If you're a Christian, you probably have memorized Jeremiah 29 verse 11 from high school, from nursery school, Sunday school. It has followed you throughout your whole life until this very moment. And it starts with God writing a letter through Jeremiah to the exiles, those who obeyed the command of Jeremiah. And it starts with God standing on business, big business. And the theme that appears is in the confines of your challenges, in the grip of constraints, thrive and prosper. The charge to this nation that is now in exile and they're grappling with why they are there and trying to reconcile every single thing as God's chosen nation now in captivity, God comes and tells them in this place of constraint, in this place of difficulty, thrive and prosper. 
The irony lies in the perception that prosperity thrives best in freedom and liberty. Yet God's wisdom unfolds in the unexpected, embracing an oxymoron of growth amidst constraints. Tell your neighbor, tight places. And when I was thinking about this passage, I realized there was a pattern that is there from Genesis to Revelation. There are very many biblical instances where God takes his chosen, beloved nation that he promises such great wonder, such great prosperity, and puts them in places of constraint, puts them in places of captivity, puts them in tight places. There's Abraham and Sarai, who, despite there being a famine, tells them, go to Egypt, a foreign land. God also tells Abraham the Israelites will be in captivity in a foreign land. Mary and Joseph, to some degree, ran to a foreign land to escape Herod's uh, onslaught. God ordains tight places for a purpose. The carnal mind will always look at tight places as an attack. To look at it as a failure on my part to fulfill any righteous obligation in my life, that is why I'm going through a season of constraint. But God sees it differently. It is in these seasons of constraint, it is in these seasons where you are hard-pressed from all angles that he smiles and he marvels and says, I am glad. My child is about to increase. My child is about to prosper. God's use of seemingly challenging situations in foreign rulership is often interpreted as a means of preservation, refinement, and eventual increase. That has always been the intention of God. Whenever he wants to increase the nation of Israel, whenever he wants to increase a person, chosen vessel, he puts him in a tight place. Tell your neighbor, tight places. In this narrative of Jeremiah 29, the tight places symbolize a form of incubation where individuals or nations undergo trials to foster resilience, faith, and character. The periods of captivity served as a refining process prepared for them for the greater purpose that God has in store. It illustrates the idea that growth and increase often emerge from adversity and constrained circumstance. There's a quote that I like to tell myself, and I had it in passing, but it has stuck to, with me since last year. It says, whenever you feel overwhelmed in a situation, that is invitation for growth. Overwhelming situations should not make you run away. Overwhelming situations are supposed to be seized by the horns. Force yourself to face it head on and to grow. That is a pattern that we see in Jeremiah 29 and in most cases of the gospel. In the tapestry of divine providence, our moments of constrictions aren't mere detours, but intentional acts of grace. As we enjoy the comforts, privileges, and blessings bestowed upon us, let us anchor our hearts in the profound truth that this world is not our permanent abode. These situations were intentional by God. Because these comforts that we seek, this freedom and liberty that we hope to achieve or to walk in in this year of 2024 may actually be things that may trap us into the idea that this is our permanent abode. 
that this is how life should be. But God calls us to a higher level by telling us, I don't want you to settle. I want you to understand that you are in this world, but not of it. Praise the name of the Lord. Amen. The ease of peaceful living, acquiring of wealth, marriage, parenthood, all by God's grace should never overshadow the sacred reminder from Christ that we are in the world, but our essence transcends it. He took the nation of Judah into a foreign land and he tells them, multiply. He tells them, grow. He tells them, produce. He tells them, flourish. All these things in a foreign land. Why? Why couldn't he have ordained such a circumstance in my own land? It's so that they can remember that we are only here for a brief moment to fulfill God's purpose and to go and dwell with him. Keep the main thing the main thing. In the seasons of constrictions, tread carefully. There's a passage that Jesus, that God tells Jeremiah, be very careful for the false prophets that are amongst you because they also happened to heed or infiltrate the people who are in exile. In the seasons of constrictions, tread carefully for the whispers that cater to your itching ear may lead you astray. Their cunning agenda aimed to sow doubt among the remnants, questioning if this captivity truly aligned with God's will. See, at that particular point in time when Nebuchadnezzar was busy expanding his empire, there were other territories that were experiencing revolt. People were saying that, ah, this empire will not last. This empire will crumble soon. So they would bring prophets amongst themselves to say, look, this thing is about to end quickly. We shall go back to our land and we shall continue doing the things that we've been doing in peace and prosperity. But God had challenged them and he said, do what? Pray for this nation. For if this nation prospers, you prosper. But the false prophets were, had another idea of, you know what? Let's pray for the kingdom to crumble so that we can go back to that place. But there was no provision in that place. God had ordained the environment, the atmosphere for this nation to increase to be in Nebuchadnezzar's reign. And it takes insight. It takes really meditating on the word of God. It takes you sitting down or this nation sitting down and asking themselves, why are we here in the first place? Was it not because of sin? Was it not because of sin? Has sin been dealt with in my life to the point where God says, now you can proceed to the next season. In their skepticism, they overlooked a fundamental truth that sin was the catalyst for their captivity. Let this serve as a poignant reminder that in times of hardship and in times of hardship, discernment should prevail over the allure of comforting but deceptive narratives. Praise the name of the Lord. In 2 Timothy 4, 3 to 4, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Places of constriction and tight places are not the best places for you to feel at ease. And it's often more times we look for people to scratch the itch. Scratch the itch so that I may feel like I don't need to go through this anymore. Rather than God, you have provided grace for me to go through this season. They were trying to escape a curriculum that God had ordained for them to bring about righteousness. 
to bring about a new heart. Because the book of Jeremiah is about a new heart and a new covenant. Yes. He says, forget what you thought was righteousness. I will teach you now what is righteousness. I will start by transforming you from within. But the each, the each is always external. The each always to seek, always seeks to go after pacifiers. That would give us the idea of we are okay, but we are definitely not. The incessant itch of eager ears can disrupt the divine metamorphosis essential for ushering growth into your life. This interference left unchecked becomes the breeding ground for stunted development. Spiritually, emotionally, mentally. Stunted growth. You've been saved, you speak in tongues, you worship the Lord, you attend service, you do all these rituals, but you are stunted. There is no growth beyond a certain point because you have interfered with the divine metamorphosis needed to transform you wholly. When you give God a part of your heart instead of whole of your heart, you're creating an invitation for stuntedness. That is the challenge that was there with this nation of Judah. He wants you to grow. He wants you to expand. He wants you to occupy territory. He doesn't want you to be stunted in that place. Praise the name of the Lord. And as we go into this year, one big, this being the last Sunday of January, I would want you to go into it. As now we have consulted God on what he needs us to do before we start getting to the ground is audit your growth as you start this year. Audit your growth. Audit your response mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually. Audit your growth and ask yourself, am I stunted? Or is this an opportunity for me to arise and grow and to expand in a capacity that I'd never envisioned? In Jeremiah 29 verse 11, God reminds them of the thoughts that he has for them. It is difficult for you to remember the thoughts that God has for you, especially when you're going through difficult situations. It is difficult for even to know what exactly he says about you. And God says, these thoughts that I have of, for you are for peace and not of evil. Peace? But I'm in a foreign land. My king is a pagan. How is it that these thoughts are for peace? It is because he's trying to work this reality in them first before it is expressed outside. He wants them to feel this peace. He wants them to feel this hope inside them first before they experience it outside. It's easy to think that God is always against you, especially if you're dealing with a perennial issue. You've done the fasting, the praying, the serving. And so you ask yourself, is God against me? Is he punishing me? And this was what Judah was grappling with. In the midst of a challenging season, tight places, remember that God holds a future and a hope for his people. The devil's deception seeks to strip away the assurance of his divine promise, attempting to diminish the bright prospect and optimism that God has ordained for his beloved ones. Stand firm, for even in difficulty, God's plan for your future remains steadfast. Praise the name of the Lord. And it brought me to a further understanding of another scripture. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of this is love. 
every frustration that faces a Christian in this day and age revolves around these three things. These three things. Faith, hope, and love. Every challenge. Every time you felt vexed, every time you felt frustrated in your walk with God, in any situation, it has to do with these three things. Faith, hope, and love. And the reason why this is the case is, this is a trinity of sorts. And I was asking myself, and I'll, and I'll use this analogy. Imagine you're a Form 1 student in class, and a teacher appears before you. Faith is that a teacher is poised before a class, and as a student, your conviction resides in the belief that this teacher is not only good, but an expert in the subject. The teacher stands before you, he's not even started teaching, and you stand there and you say, this teacher is good, that is faith. Whether it be, whether he's teaching something that is understandable or you're passionate about it or something that you're not, even before the teacher starts to write his notes or dictate his notes, you already believe that the teacher is good. Now hope, hope is the interesting thing. Hope is the confidence that the teacher's methods, his training module is adept at bringing forth your latent capabilities. Hope is the thing that acknowledges the methods of God as perfect and flawless. That his methods are effective in cultivating an atmosphere conducive for you to grasp the subject matter with depth and clarity. Like Mr. Miyagi in Karate Kid, where he tells Daniel, wax on, wax off, for him to use it when he's fighting his battle. Praise the name of the Lord. And love. Love is when you appreciate the teacher as good, his methods as perfect, and you want to become like the teacher. Faith, hope, and love. In this trinity, resilience thrives, and it turns frustrations into stepping stones towards triumph. Every, every weapon that has been fashioned against you, every altar in the underworld, exists with a blueprint to destroy your faith, your hope, and your love. There is no other weird reality. It is just as simple as that. The devil's ministry is to kill, steal, and to destroy. Kill your faith, steal your hope, and destroy your love. Steal your hope in particular. You know why? Because in hope is where God releases his wisdom. So if he steals your wisdom, what happens? You're full of despair. Praise the name of the Lord. In the realm of hope is where God unveils the strategies essential for your advancement with much of it concealed in the crucible of waiting. Be it the 70 years of Judah or the patient wait of five years for Kenya. Loss of hope lays bare the wisdom of God and it becomes vulnerable to being snatched away by the enemy. Praise the name of the Lord. Hope serves as the pod encapsulating the techniques for transformation. It is hope that unveiled David's strategy before Goliath. 
It is hope and confidence. Remember the story of David when he's fighting Goliath, or rather before he fights Goliath, he's sent by his parents to take food for his elder brothers who are generals and majors and colonels in King Saul's army. He goes there for 40 days. He already was anointed as king. He would have easily gone on day one and decided I can take this guy out. But he goes on the first day and he assesses the land. He sees where Goliath is. He sees where King Saul's army is. He sees their position. He sees where the King Saul's position is. He sees the tools of warfare that Goliath has. He looks at the nation of Israel. And all through that experience, he comes and he goes. He does not act. Because he's awaiting for the confidence in him to reach full capacity. And by the time it dawns on him that now he has the framework, that's when he goes. And mark you, he was tempted. He was told to wear King Saul's armor. Be like, no. I cannot because my hope is not in this. I have studied. I have waited. I have allowed myself to be molded into the right posture in order to overcome this giant. This shall not work. This is the hope. This is the wisdom that David embraced in the place of hope. Despair nullifies every wisdom and strategy that God has given you to advance in this year. Bring yourselves to hope in the Lord. Bring yourselves to hope. And that was the message that he was trying to tell the nation of Judah. Hope. Because in this place of hope, I will raise people who will bring to forth the promise that I made. I will raise the likes of Daniel, Meshach, and Abednego in captivity. I will raise Ezra in captivity. I will raise Nehemiah in captivity. All these people who sat in the courts of pagan kings and went to intercede and say, 70 years is up. It is time I fulfill what I was created to do. It takes hope to trust in the methods of God despite you being in tight, constrictive spaces. Praise the name of the Lord. The Judeans grappled with faith in God yet faced a struggle with hope. They found it difficult in comprehending the means through which the righteousness would be instilled in their lives. They were afraid but God assures them not to be. Mimi Sita Ogopa, as we just sang. However, the unfolding wisdom of God becomes apparent to the people that he raises in order to fulfill that which he had promised. Consider Peter facing a trial where the devil sought to kill his faith, steal his hope and destroy his love when he denied Christ three times. Kill his faith. If God, if Jesus is good, as I've given in that analogy, why is he going through bad situations? Why is he being treated the way he's been treated? If he's truly good, why is he being subjected to such inhumane experiences? Still his hope. I have seen Jesus do miraculous things. I've seen him raise people from the dead. I've seen him multiply food. I have seen him do amazing things. Why aren't his methods working now? Why? Why aren't his methods working now? And to destroy his love. Because Peter would wonder, do I really want to be like Christ? Despite seeing all this that is happening. Do I really want to be like him?
Jesus yet intervenes when he restores back these three things in his life. He restores his faith when he asks, Peter, son of Barjona, do you love me? Do you believe that I am good? Despite what you've seen, despite the situation that you've been through, despite the disappointment, despite the heartache, do you believe that I am good? Serve my people. Peter, son of Jonah, do you love me? Do you believe that by methods, what I have trained you to know about me and the kingdom of God is essential for what I'm about to commission you to? Do you believe that my methods are good? Do you believe that my methods have wrought righteousness in your life up until this point? Do you believe that all things work out for good for those who believe and trust and love him? Serve my people. Peter, son of Barjona, do you love me? Are you willing to be affirmed by my love? Are you willing to be transformed by my love that you may become like me? And not only become like me, but do greater things that I have done. He restores the trinity of faith, hope, and love. And that is what I want us to think about this year. As we go about every single day, every single circumstance, whether good or bad. Find yourself in the place of always hoping and trusting in God because that is where he has planted the wisdom needed to help you advance. Thrive and prosper. That is my charge to us today. To thrive and to prosper. Let not this be a year where you have a catalog of disappointed situations, but very few where you have thrived and prospered. Back within yourself, the fear of God and your trust in him to be able to take you from each season or each day or each circumstance growing. Growth emotionally, growth physically, growth mentally, growth spiritually. I would like to invite the worship team back and if possible, I would like to ask them the songs that they just sang. If they could take us through that because they add the cherry on top of this devotion where we ask ourselves, just like Peter was asked by God, by Jesus, do you believe in the inherent goodness of God for your life? Do you believe that he loves you? Do you believe that he is good? Do you believe that the teacher is good to teach you the subject matter of holiness, of righteousness, of being a living sacrifice? Do you believe that he is good? Whether the situation brings pain, whether discretion brings discomfort, do you believe that he is still good? Because this is what will distinguish you from everyone else this year. We are already in a tough place as a country. Dollar is at an all-time high. Things are going how they're going. But remember the words that God told Jeremiah. Pray for this nation. Because when it prospers, you prosper. When Kenya prospers, you prosper. Pray for your leaders. Nebuchadnezzar wasn't a righteous king. There was no way he would send people in Judah to go give him the sinner's prayer so that he can become... <laughs> No, Nebuchadnezzar was evil, but God says pray for this nation as it is. It is God who is in charge of people he places in authority. 
Do you believe? Do you trust that his methods are flawless? Bishop told us everyone here has a curriculum. He's just the steward of it. He's a steward of that curriculum in your lives, but God is the one who has ordained that curriculum. Do you trust that his methods are flawless? Do you trust that his methods are essential in giving you the wisdom to overcome that thing that has been plaguing you for a while now? To break that sinful habit? To break that habitual sin? To break that pattern that seems to be doing injustice and sabotage every year? Do you believe that his methods and training module is perfect and flawless? Because if you do not believe so, then no matter what form of wisdom is released from this altar, it may fall on deaf ears. The word of God says, for those who ask for wisdom, they must believe. They must believe that it has been granted to them. Should you be in a situation where you doubt whether God's methods are perfect or whether his ways are flawless, may you bring yourself to the place of surrendering to him. Because he is the one who he is the one who puts that reality in your heart. He is the one who brings it forth. He is a good shepherd. He's also a very good farmer. He knows how to increase the produce hundredfold, a thousandfold. As Gen Z's would say, let him cook. Let him cook in your life. Let him bring out the savory sense. Let him bring out that redolence that beautiful fragrance that is undeniable. Do you trust that his methods are good? And I want to dwell there because the issue with the church today and the people and the believers is not that they don't believe in God, they have issues with his methods. They have issues with his methods in dealing with carnality. They have issues with his methods in dealing with service. Having a sense of duty, they have issues with his methods. And that's the thing that God is trying to say. This methods is part of my training module. I'm supposed to teach you, for example, quantum physics. But I want after every class, at the beginning of every class, for you to do 10 push-ups. You'd wonder, what type of method is that? Why am I doing 10 push-ups? Teach me the main thing. But every single time the teacher comes and says... 10 push-ups before we start the subject matter. By the time you're done with the class, you realize, oh my God, it cultured within me a discipline to contain the lessons that I was taught. And in your love for him, do you aspire to mirror his character and essence? Do you love the teacher? Do you appreciate his methods? That you want to become like him. That you want his essence to be your essence. Because you have loved him. You have loved the journey. You have loved the person. You have loved the authority. I'll repeat that. You have loved the person. And you have loved the authority. You have loved the person of Christ. And you have loved his authority. Thank you for listening to this audio. If you enjoyed it, be sure to subscribe and share with a friend.